Hello and welcome back to Pharmacist Diaries, the podcast that reveals the secret lives of pharmacists, from where their journeys began, where they are now, and everything in between. I am your host, Anisha Patel, and on today's episode, I am pleased to introduce Farah Haig to the podcast. Farah is the current Associate Director of Pharmacy at Babylon Health. Babylon Health is an international digital health service provider that combines artificial intelligence and technology with human medical expertise to create all-in-one healthcare right from your device. Over the last few years, Babylon Health has been reaching out to pharmacists to support their clinical services and conduct digital consultations as part of their advanced clinical practitioner team. The beauty of these roles involves being able to work remotely as an autonomous practitioner. Farah was one of the first clinical pharmacists to join Babylon back in 2018 when she first joined the organization. Prior to working at Babylon, she gained experience working in a variety of roles, community pharmacist, hospital pharmacist, clinical commissioning group pharmacist, and prison pharmacist. This variety has provided her with a solid foundation of skills and experience that has made her who she is today. Though we spend a considerable amount of time discussing Farah's career history, our conversation also involves a deep dive into the following topics. Asian upbringings and high expectations from family. Growing up in a society where your feelings of self-worth are based on sources outside of yourself. Lack of self-belief and how to alter your mindset and taking risks and being open to new opportunities. A very honest and genuine conversation that resonated with my personal journey into the pharmacy profession. I'm sure you guys are going to love it. So welcome to Pharmacist Diaries anyways. Um, I'm happy to have you on the podcast and um, I kickstart my episodes by asking you why you became a pharmacist in the first place. Um, well, I guess it's not, I'd love to say something like I always wanted to be a pharmacist, but that would not be true. <laughs> so honestly, um, I was a straight A student and I think everybody in my family just wanted me to become a doctor. And at that time I was just rebelling a little and I didn't want that decision to be made for me. And so naturally I had to go to something else that's more of a profession. And I loved chemistry and I liked pharmacology. Um, at college specifically but being South Asian like I have to choose something that's a career um, which always tends to happen um, and after my family got over the disappointment of me not going into medicine like pharmacy seems like a I guess in quotation sensible option um, but I, at the time I didn't really know like where it would take me and I honestly didn't see past community or hospital pharmacy it just I mean, when you make these decisions, you're quite young. 18 is very young to kind of choose career options. But like at that time, it just felt as though being a pharmacist seemed like a respected career within the community. And I guess it had approval from my parents. So, yeah, it's not one of those stories like I always wanted to do this when I was younger or anything like that. It was kind of like sensible and like accepted um, without doing medicine. It was kind of like the second best thing that a family could ask for. 
I've recorded 65 episodes so far, and I would say majority of the responses are the same as yours <laughs> and the same as mine, which is exactly the same. Um, yeah. You know, there is um, expectations within families. There's, you know, um, the need to go into a professional career and uh, you know, medicine is always kind of like your number one choice, especially, I guess maybe I've interviewed a lot of um, pharmacists who were raised in the 80s and some that have been in the 70s. So um, mm. I would say our generation, it was quite um, prestigious to be in a professional career and this is what they considered professional, Absolutely. you know, and pharmacist, doctor, lawyer, engineer, all of those, yeah. um, usual suspects. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, completely understandable. I guess when you were in university, um, what were your thoughts back then on what you planned to do or what you wanted to do with your career? Honestly, like, it's like, I, this is one of the things that I wish I could go back and just like, you know, when you like with age, you get wisdom, you just realize, oh, you know what, like, I really wish I just paid more attention to career. At that time, I wasn't thinking long term, it was just get your straight A's, you could get a B, you had to get A's and everything. Um, I guess, same, some coming from the culture and stuff. We had placements in community and we had placements in hospital, but we didn't really get a wide variety of actually this is the avenue you can go down to. I think those super, super like clever people had the industry stuff down, but that was just not me. Physical pharmacy, just no, just doesn't agree with me. So it was just like, okay, you need to choose community or hospital. And not, I'll be quite honest, like none of them really appealed to me. Like hospital placements, I did not enjoy. I do not like being in hospitals, just was not my calling. And I just felt like I would have to be forced into community. I didn't think too much of, of it. And I think from a family perspective, it was ingrained in me that you just, you get a job and it's just a job. That's it. You need a stable nine to five job. It just pays the bills. And that's all I was thinking. Like, because I guess that's what kind of women um, of our culture, you get, uh, you know, education, you get um, a job, you get married, you have children, and that's your life, and that's it. And so I never actually thought about career in that sense of what was personal to me and what I want to aspire to be. It was just more about what I can do to make my family proud, get super straight A's, go into community, um, get a job, and that's it. But I was always kind of achieving to make someone proud. And I never really kind of reflected inwards to think, actually, I just need to really make myself proud, if that makes sense. And that came like 10 years later. So I wish I had that knowledge. But yeah, to answer your question, in universe, university, I wish there was more around career progression, more like there is now. There's a lot more kind of wide roles. But at that time, it was just community or um, hospital. And that's it. Yeah. And this external validation and kind of that thought about making other people proud is is quite a normal concept I think a lot of people have made choices um to for validation purposes in terms of their families um it's it's really common in fact like I feel like a lot of the time I made decisions 
for other people, but I've learned to not snap out of it, but I've learned that that's actually the wrong way about going about it. I think partly because I'm married, I have my, you know, my own child now. Um, and when you, when you do get married, you do segregate from your family to some extent and you start making decisions for your family and, you know, you don't worry about what's happening externally. Um, and then you literally have to say no to some decisions or, you know, things that you have to attend, which you would normally, you know, weddings and things like that, or family events, there would be expectations. So outside of work, there's a lot of family expectation to attend different events and things. I have this all the time with my, with my mum, that, um, you know, there's an expectation to attend something. And I'm like, well, actually, now I have to kind of think about myself now, even with my pregnancy. You know, I'm 36 weeks pregnant pregnant now. Congratulations. And thanks. Um, and there are still expe- expectations to attend certain family gatherings. And now I'm getting to the point where I feel tired enough where I'm like, well, actually, what's in my best interest is to actually rest and to stay at home and not be running around like a lunatic for other people. But it is very hard to make those decisions and it's actually quite hard to say no and it's ingrained in us like you know I'm 38 years old it's been ingrained in me to constantly do things for other people um but over the last kind of like sort of three maybe two or three years I've become a lot more stern with kind of like doing things for me and it feels like I've learned the hard way but it's good like I'm moving in the right direction (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more like it's you have to unlearn certain behaviors and it's exactly what you said. It's like expectation and the guilt that you feel for not meeting your parents' expectations. It's not something they've done wrong. They've done the best they can, but like to channel self-care and doing things for yourself, you just feel guilt and it's kind of what you've grown up with. And I understand that was their generation, but like to impart that onto us and they have their own generational trauma, but that's kind of passed on to yourself. Unless you truly kind of reflect and similar to you in the last couple of years, you just kind of learn to say no to other things and put yourself first and actually truly start thinking about what you want. And I wish like I knew this 10 years ago, but like, I guess it's life, isn't it? You learn the hard way. Um, But it's really kind of refreshing to talk to other people who's been through similar journey because a lot of people don't talk about it. So it's really nice to kind of chat with like-minded people who've been through a similar journey as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's becoming a more open topic of conversation. I've been seeing a a lot more on kind of social media and a lot more conversations about it happening, especially with women, actually, by chance, and especially mums who are from our generation, from our background, Asian upbringing. Um, And it's, it's interesting to see that we've all kind of shared that kind of same journey in different ways. Um, but self-care is becoming really important for me and it's it's a really important part of my life now. Um, so it's exciting when I can just say, well, no, actually, this is what I need to do for myself and sorry, I can't attend. Even with kids' parties over the next few weeks, I've had accepted a lot of kids' parties. When you start reception, you get invited to every child's birthday so there's you know like 30 plus kids in the class 
um, I'd initially accepted, but now I've just emailed all the mums and just said, like, I'm really sorry, but I'm starting to slow down. I feel like I'm doing too much on the weekends and all the running around. By the time I get home at sort of five, six o'clock, I'm wiped out. Um, and it doesn't feel good to feel that tired, you know. I don't want to feel that way. Um, and most families that I've, you know, that are at the school understand where I'm coming from, which is great. So um, it helps the families can be can be a, a different story right <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> um so i guess when you started um your uh career in pharmacy once you um graduated you started in community pharmacy how was that for you um it was i think when anyone newly qualifies and passes a pre like exam you're like super super excited like it's just something that you just kind of want to get done with education for a while and just work and very shortly afterwards you realize okay this is it now (laughs) you kind of come back to reality so I think um because I had some experience in community it was kind of an easy decision to go into that it felt like an easy uh, decision so this is kind of where my pharmacist career started and what I said before in terms of you looking for kind of validation from your parents, et cetera, that look, you've got a job stuff. Uh, you've got a job now, you're doing well, you've got a career, but like I never felt satisfied um, at all. I just never felt that job satisfaction. I was just always looking for something else. So I completed my pre-regging community and I locum for a while initially just to get some experience in terms of um, different organizations, see what um, kind of fits um, with me. And then I got my first contracted role. I think it was a boots in a train station. And I did shift work in a very small sort of quiet pharmacy, um, which didn't last very long because I was just kind of itching to do something a bit more. And then I just did relief work. Um, So, yeah, it was my first role as a pharmacist. And I, I completely like appreciate that role as well because you kind of need to go baby steps before you jump into kind of something a bit more challenging. And I learned a lot. And... With every role, you gain confidence. So I think community really, although I would never go back because it's just not me, it gave me the confidence that I have now. In like, But you don't even realize how much you're learning. It seems like it's just kind of day in, day out. And it felt, for me, it felt mundane. But reflecting back, I wouldn't be where I was without that experience. Um, but in terms of my career timeline, I did community for about a good five years. And then I just, again, I just didn't feel satisfied. I felt like I could do more. Um, And then I went into hospital. Um, I didn't like hospital, but this was specifically um, a cancer care hospital, which I thought was a little bit different. And actually it was. And this really helped me develop another skill set. In terms of like more compassion side, because obviously you're dealing with cancer patients. Um, But I gained so much insight and knowledge um but at the same time back to where I was in uni just hospital wasn't for me again really um humbled me as well in terms of patient pathways with cancer and their journeys end to end and my contribution towards that and complete completely respecting my colleagues for what they did day in day out but the problem with me is I started getting a bit complacent and the things that would normally affect me stopped affecting me and I didn't like that feeling I, I wanted to feel something. And then, of course, like anybody does, they move on. And I went to prison. 
um, prison pharmacy, not actual prison. Um, <laughs> so, um, that was quite novel for me. Um, an opportunity came about and I literally jumped for it. I didn't even think of it twice. I thought this is so different. Um, it's so out of my comfort zone. Um, it was an all male prison. It was Forest Bank prison in Manchester. And I remember my first day as well. Like it's one of those things, memories that you always remember, like till you're very old. It was just so bizarre. But at the same time, I felt, oh my God, I'm here. Like I can do something different. It's not community. It's not hospital. It's a new challenge. And don't get me wrong. It's a scary place. It's a male prison and it's scary. Like it really is, especially for like a South Asian woman. You're just like complete opposite ends. Uh, but I learned so much um, and it was a private hospital. So you get another aspect of it. It's not just NHS prescriptions. It's how private things work. I was had more responsibility. Um, I was looking after formularies. I um, kind of did more supervision for the staff. And you start thinking, like using your knowledge that you had from your pharmacy degree in different ways. So like in prison, um, Wanted, you have to think about how people could misuse medicine in different ways. So people used to obviously abuse inhalers. There was hyacine, which is something just so common. They'd crush it and snort it, and that would give a hallucinogenic effect, so that affected the formulary. So it's just things you wouldn't even think of, and every day was different. Um, every day um, something new would happen or something to do with medicines would happen, but it was so exciting, and I really, really thoroughly enjoyed that experience. Um the only reason I left um, was because I had finished my prescribing. So I was doing my prescribing course at the same time. And I wasn't able to use my clinical skill with prescribing um, in my prison environment. And that's what made me think, actually, um, I've got a skill set. I can prescribe medication. Why am I not using it? And that started making me think, actually, maybe I need to um, look elsewhere. But yeah, prison pharmacy, I do not regret it. I learned a lot. I still apply. It really toughened me up as well. It gave me a lot of resilience, as you would imagine anyway. But I was really kind of fragile going in. I wouldn't speak up. I was really, really quiet. And at the end of it, I was just a bit, kind of held my own a little bit better. Um, and it helped when you have those difficult conversations with patients, that actually how you assert yourself and how you have conversations um, and what your communication is like as well. So, yeah. Good, Interesting. Good. Let me ask you a couple yeah. more questions about that role. So it was the, I guess the, the prisoners were in a, like in a specific hospital within the prison itself. So uh, not quite. So it's, it's a whole prison. Um, so there's two different wards. There's like a vulnerable patients ward and um, there's just a general population ward. Um, and general population ward is just kind of your, routine offences but I mean if you think about it everybody needs medication people do get um, sentenced to prison and they're diabetic and they need their insulin um a lot of obviously methadone um and um, kind of helping with substance misuse and then your vulnerable ward would be patients who would be subject to harm if they were in general pot based on what they had done um in terms of criminal activity um, and they were sometimes vulnerable in their condition, but mostly vulnerable because if they were mixed in with other populations, then that would do them more harm. Uh, but it wasn't a hospital as such, complete prison. We could see cells at times. We had rooms for consultations. There was a doctor on site. There was a dentist on site. 
we had our own little pharmacy. Everything's obviously secure. You lock yourself in every single room. You have to lock it on the way out. There's no open doors at all. Keys are attached to you. You have your wolf talkie. Um, you have panic buttons, everything. So it is a prison to ascent the cells. There's no hospital wing or anything like that. Proper what you see on TV prison. And you are literally walking about from ward to ward, wing to wing. Um, I think the one memory I have the most when you walk to the wards, I don't know who designed this, but it just wasn't a good design. Um, you're basically, there's like a courtyard and you have to walk through like a caged archway. And when it's during the day, the prisoners are allowed in the courtyard and you're literally walking through this narrow archway and they just stand there and they talk to you. Um, and I remember I felt really intimidated and really sort of a little bit kind of scared at first um, that way. But with time, you just get used to it. And at the end of the day, they're still our people. Yes, they've done um, no criminal offences and stuff, but they still need medication. They still We still have a duty of care to provide for them and um, help them even with minor limits and stuff. Um, so it was a different setting. It, it did not feel like a hospital. It was a prison. <laughs> Okay. Well, I guess uh, my, uh, my thoughts were that it would be um, a very dispensary focused role where um, you would do supervised methadone or like patients coming in daily or weekly to come and collect medications for standard diseases. Because actually, that's what I've kind of seen more on TV is the queue, the queue of customers outside a dispensary hatch. So I wasn't really thinking that it would be a ward-based environment. So that's quite interesting. In terms of the differences between like a hospital and like the prison pharmacy, are there ward rounds like a standard hospital and the pharmacist gets involved? Or is it more the providing of medications and counselling? So I, it's it's not kind of like you do rounds. It's a little bit different. So when patients get... Um, I guess I want to say admitted, but that's definitely not the right word. But when patients are um, come into the prison environment, new registrations or anything, then they do go through a pharmacist assessment and they kind of go into two avenues. So obviously they've previously assessed um, if they're vulnerable or not, and that'll decide which ward they're going on. Um, and the second part is assess whether they can be supervised, or they need to be supervised or they can be non-supervised. So supervise, like you said, they have to come to the hatch and get whatever medication supervised. And usually the officers help us with supervision as well. And non-supervised, you basically do a risk assessment to see if they're at risk of harm. And any non-supervised, they can actually take the medication back to the cell and they can take the medication themselves. So it's a risk assessment you do at that point. And um, they also see a GP as soon as they come in as well, especially if they're on medication. So that's one aspect of a pharmacist get involved. Um, and the other aspect is the dispensary side. You're overseeing the dispensers and the actual supervised methadone, actually the nurses carry out, but you're kind of um, supervising them and you're um, obviously in charge of the controlled drugs and stock taking all that sort of stuff. Um, but alongside that, if you are doing sort of rounds, it's kind of like you don't go to them, they come to you. <laughs> so you've got their record and anybody you want to see from their review counselling, anything like that. Um one of the officers will escort them to like a meds review room. Um, again, still confidential. So it's patient kind of confidentiality. You are in there alone than the prisoner. Um, but obviously we've had additional security with that. You're, you know, you're closest to the door. The door is a job. You, you, the officers cannot hear what you're saying. 
Um, so you have to be prepared in that way. You get some basic training in terms of self-defense. You've got panic buttons to cite. And touch wood, nothing happened with me. You know, um, I was really lucky, but it was a different mindset. And I think you have to get over the um, thought process of, oh, this is a criminal. They've done something. If you start seeing what they've done, and by one chance I did by accident, um, then you start introducing bias to yourself and you need to see them as patients because at the same time, they are patients. They're looking towards, you know, healthcare. You know, you're there to provide something and to support them in their medication um, and life. Um, so, yeah, it, it takes time to detach from that thought process. But actually, besides that, you're doing similar things that you would do in a hospital um, or counselling in community. It's just a different setting. No, that sounds really interesting. Um, and in terms of the formulary, because obviously it's um, private, were you just, are you given a specific budget and then you had to kind of figure out what goes on the formulary in accordance to um, obviously what finances you're provided and did you, like how big was the formulary in terms of the amount of medications that you had? So I guess formally, I was lucky in the sense that it was already kind of set. I was just kind of monitoring it, had it already been predetermined by, uh, I guess, most of the GPs. The difference in formularies here is because OTC medication and basic things like paracetamol would be on the formulary because they don't have access to OTC and just general like minor ailments, pain relief. Um, there were budget meetings. So, yeah, absolutely. We had to ensure that, you know, prescribing generically. We won't do obviously any branded prescribing. Um, we had to ensure the most cost-effective regimes, and we have limited stock supplies as well in-house. Um, so, yeah, it was interest. It was new to me, so I didn't actually know what I was doing initially when I was there. We were in these old budget meetings, but I learned a lot going into my new roles with that. Um, but this gave me the opportunity to start thinking about strategy and business a little bit more, um, because you start thinking of, though, it's your money. And we had um, budget meetings on an every monthly basis, and you could see where budgets went. And um, obviously that was flexible depending on how many um, inmates we had at that time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you have your formulas with the NHS when you like in um, primary care, but you know your rationale for prescribing them. But here you, you just have to tailor it a little bit because of the OTC things. And it's bare minimum stuff, simple link, does anything like that. It's all on the formulary. Um, but I do remember one story regarding... Um, you have to be quite assertive in prison, but not only with the inmates, but you have to do with your peers. And I'm sure most kind of women have experienced this. When you're working in a very male-dominated environment, you're not as heard as well. You have to be assertive and you have to be confident. And this taught me that because I do remember one of the GPs had prescribed sildenafil for a diabetic patient, for which I did not kind of understand why that was prescribed. It's normal prison. There was no clinical rationale um, for it. And it actually went through the ethics committee. But I took it there um, because I was vocal enough. But I was really super scared at the time, I remember, because I, I, I basically refused to dispense it because I didn't agree with the rationale. And in the end, after much discussion and much debate with the, uh, the GP, I, I remember I was told um, initially that I wouldn't understand why this patient needs it because I'm a woman. Um, which obviously was a little demeaning, but actually discussing it with my other peers and taking it to an MDT space and the ethics committee actually was found that this is not something that we can do because it could potentially lead to somebody causing more harm to someone else as well. Um, so 
yeah, like that sort of things you've got to think about formulary as well because they would come to you for formulary approval requests as well. And you have to think um, outside the box of how this medicine can be misused. Um, and for me, it was still done could cause sexual assault, could lead to this, could lead to this. Um, yeah, so very interesting story. And I remember I did a CPD reflection on that because it's a very unique experience for myself. Yeah, it sounds like you've been put into some um, particularly sort of challenging and sort of different scenarios. But the greatest thing about this is like listening to your history with community, with hospital, with prison. It's kind of given you the variety of skills that you have been able to utilize, obviously, towards your current job. And that exposure is amazing. Because when you came out of pharmacy and you started community, you probably didn't think that you would get all this exciting experience. And part of it may be just chance that opportunities have come up. But, um, you know, it's it's really given you an advantage in terms of becoming the pharmacist you are today, which is amazing. I love that. Sounds like a, a really good time. How how big was the pharmacy in terms of um, staff? How many staff approximately did they have? We had two technicians. Um, so the pharmacy was actually really, really small. So the dispensary was tiny. Um, two technicians, and we had about four nurses. Um, a, a good handful of people. I think similar to what you'd have in a general sort of community pharmacy um, cool. in terms of support. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So um, at the time you were doing your prescribing course, uh, what was your scope of practice? Contraception. Yeah. I wanted to do something that was, I guess, related to women's health, but without doing the whole scope of women's health because it was too much to do with prescribing, but yeah. And you were completing that during this role or prior yeah. to this role? Oh, so how uh, did was, you get your working, hours? So I was, well, this was really tough as well. So I worked in prison four days a week and I did one day a week in community but my DMP was in a GP practice, um, but he'd recently moved to Leeds. And this was what I used to live in Manchester. And I basically used to do um, like night visits and on call with my DMP to get all my hours in. Um, wow. Yeah. And I remember I'd finish work, I'd drive to Leeds, I'd meet my DMP. We'd do all these kind of out of hours call till about maybe 3 a.m. in the morning. And then I'd drive back and go back to work the next day. It was intense. It was a lot. And I did the accelerated course at Manchester. So it was even more kind of squashed into a very small amount of time. So, yeah, I I, I did manage to get my hours. Uh, but, it, I, yeah, I was very stressed at that time. How um, how many months is the accelerated course? Four months. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's intense. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, because I, I did mine at King's because uh, I work there. Um, and it's nine months. But it it went by really quickly, but um, it did feel like a lot with working full time, um, having a commuter's life, being a mum, a wife. Um, it was, and then I got pregnant during the time, like halfway through um, the pregnancy. So it was a challenge. But again, the things that we do in pharmacy <laughs> and the things we do for our professional career, sometimes I wonder how we make all these decisions to progress to the next stage of enjoyment, I guess, from our jobs. Um, but I am really glad I've completed it now because 
I'm in palliative care now in pediatrics and that's the area that I'm doing. Uh, I've done the course in. So when I do return from mat leave, um, you know, I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to set up some virtual clinics for our patients in the community and um, palliative care. So, you know, happy days. It, it's all been worth it. But yeah, it's, it's a hard journey to get there. Um, so I guess you decided that you wanted to use your um, IP and you left that job. How did you, you transitioned directly from there to Babylon, is that right? Not quite. Not quite. Um, okay. No, I was still, um, I think I just wanted to smooth sector completely. So I went to primary care, so I joined CCG. Um, so that was, again, quite new for me. It's something new. I never really knew primary care structure. And the place of pharmacists in primary care was so new at that time as well. Like it was Nobody really knew what they were doing, but also we knew that pharmacists could really support in primary care. And I was the only prescriber, I think, out of about 15 pharmacists that they had. And I was so keen to use it. And, you know, with NHS, you get so much red tape. It's just so much kind of like blockers. And I completely understand from a risk perspective and stuff. But, you know, when you just want to like go and just like make differences, differences in patients' lives, I was finding I was really struggling. And there was just so many blockers and... Yeah, I really had to push for clinics. And I think eventually, I think six months into my role, I looked after about um, three or four practices um, from the CCG. And it was kind of like cost efficiency savings, but I wasn't allowed to use my IP. Um, and it was more about kind of meds reviews here and there, but you couldn't see patients. It was just on the phone and just making very cost effective sa- savings. But what technicians would do now, I guess. Um, that's how new the role was and I remember really pushed at the end I think six months in I was like look I want to do clinics and use my prescribing and they finally agreed to it and but I was only allowed to prescribe PPIs so I did prescribe I did um yeah I did a deep prescribing clinic in PPIs because that was deemed the less like least risk and to be honest right on reflection it's probably a good thing to start start out on because it's not kind of going into the deep end. They've already been prescribed a PPI. You kind of talk to them about the risks and you change them or start to reduce them. So it was a really good place to start. Um, but I was very restricted in terms of what I could prescribe. Um, but I saw patients and I, I, I remember seeing patients continuously for over a couple of months. And actually it was really kind of rewarding to finally get them off the PPI um, and just stabilize them in that way. So that was really good. But then I kind of went from that and jumped to benzodiazepine reducing clinics quite quickly. But the CCG would not let me prescribe in that area. I'd see the patients, but the GP would have to counsel and the prescriptions. Um, I had all the knowledge, and I think that was very difficult, but it challenged me, and I really, really enjoyed that. And it was at that point, like I kind of was just reflecting on my career because I had so much experience from so many different sectors. I still didn't feel that satisfaction that I was looking for. And I think. At that point, it was partly because I still was doing things for my family. I was still kind of like, look, I've got this, I've done this, I've done this, I've gone back to uni, I've done my prescribing, like, just be proud of me or something. And like, I realized that I'm never going to get that until I truly do something that I want to do, rather than kind of trying to people please. Um, And that's why I was not getting job satisfaction. And that's when I took a real good plunge and like did something most South Asian women before marriage do not do when I moved out of my family home <laughs> and I moved to London. And this is where I kind of came across Babylon. And that's kind of where my next journey with um, and where I am currently started. And that was about four years ago now. 
um yes it's quite hard to manage that kind of uh leap for independence when you've been used to kind of staying at home and in some ways I guess um it's a shame obviously that it took so long to realize that you had to do things for you and all the decisions that you made as part of your career were for other people rather than yourself but at the same time it's probably completely changed your life to some extent because you're now free to make decisions and you do them for you and only you and having that independence is like a game changer which is amazing completely um but going from like your family home to independence, one of the scariest things I've ever done as well, but now reflecting back, actually super, super rewarding. And I really started kind of from scratch again. Um, and even when I joined Babylon, it was new. It was a startup organization. Like nobody had really heard of it. And it was so small then. Um, and like, because it was such a new organization, there, were, there wasn't as much as a robust structure um, like the NHS and stuff and there were gaps and that's where I was there for to kind of help plug those gaps but yeah just to kind of answer your question just a massive massive leap massive risk um, the guilt consumed me for a long time for leaving my family home but you, you know what I think there comes a time where you just reflect and life is so really sh- like so short you need to start doing things for you and like I would encourage other people um, especially in the South Asian communities, which I'm just kind of like backing because of my own experience, um, just have the confidence to pursue what you want to do. Um, it will definitely reward you in the long term, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I say this to students as well at university all the time, is like, spend your time during university truly understanding what you're passionate about. What do you love about the course? What have you actually learnt in terms of consultation skills or, you know, compounding or dispensing? You know, are you very lab focused? Like, what is it that you go into that lecture or that workshop or that class and you're like, I am so happy to be here and I genuinely love doing this because that's what you need to pursue. And sometimes, like at university, you know, we do kind of cater to this, oh, you go down community or hospital or industry, and it still pretty much exists as the main three areas of focus. Um, But there are so many other roles emerging, whether it's CCG, GP practices, digital pharmacy, education and training, um, you know, prison pharmacy. I mean, like I could name 20 especially now that I've been doing this podcast for so long and interviewing lots of people with a variety of jobs that it just makes me think that we have to advertise and showcase all of these roles because when students are in university, they need to be better informed about what's out there because once they know that, oh yeah, you know, digital pharmacy, there's a lot of, it's, it tends to be the males for some reason, but, um, with digital pharmacy, there's a lot of guys out there, young students who are like really tech savvy and they could go into an IT based role straight from university and be really good at it. But because it's not necessarily like, um, 
advertised or discussed in terms of career pathways as the first job that you would take because a lot of people assume that okay well I need to do my you know get a hospital job get a hospital pre-reg do my clinical diploma and then kind of work my way up the chain and then eventually kind of go into the digital role but if you've got those skills if you've got that passion and you spark joy when you look at a computer like sometimes it's useful to just go into it straight away you can always go back and do your diploma afterwards or do it alongside because there are so many split roles now you could do digital pharmacy four days a week and have a clinical role alongside it and I think even with community pharmacy, we need to advocate for more split roles because a lot of community pharmacists, similar to what you were saying, you did five years of it, but you just kind of didn't have passion for it. It's a great job. You get you you got a lot of skills from it. You gained a lot of worth from doing that job. You can see its value in the community and in primary care, but actually to do that five days a week is really hard. And I think people lose sight or lose focus on the joy of why they became a pharmacist at times, depending on the type of pharmacy that they go into, because it is very dependent on the community pharmacy that you're in specifically. Um, But those kind of split jobs between a variety of sites, I think we need to advocate for that more so people can get like, you know, more variety in skills. Yeah. Um, I wish so I had that at uni. Like, I no. really, like I wish, honestly, if you were my course in Asia, I think it would give me more direction of what I wanted and maybe think that way. And it's exactly what you said, like just thinking about what sparks joy, not to kind of recondo, but like, it's so true. Like I, I, things are changing in kind of recruitment and the job world as well. I think, but there's more focus on actually what makes you happy in your vocation mm-hmm. rather than just seeing it as a job. And I wish that's instilled in you a lot earlier because I think it will help people just have a more fulfillment in the uh, job role like a job role isn't just a death sentence this is what you do until you die you can enjoy your job Um, yeah and I think for pharmacy there's just that old stigma it's just you go and die at community and that's it and hospital you have to work your way up and it seems like a tick box like you have to do this before you do this you have to do this before you do this Absolutely. But there's so much options out there, so much. Yeah. I mean, I've been a pharmacist for 11 years and I was extremely driven. Um, went for the hospital pre-reg, went for a residency, super driven in the re- residency, like was a machine, loved every minute of it and I was good at it. And from there, by chance, obviously met my husband and moved out to Dubai. So my pathway changed. I took that leap of faith out of pure love. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of love. Um, but also to, when it comes to that external validation, I think there was a small element of proving to other people that I could be different or do something better than my colleague let's say for example and proving yeah like not always to my family but even to just other people within the profession as well that I could do better than this and it was a you know I don't know exactly why that mindset existed but it did exist 
And I took that leap of faith. I took the adventure. I was like, I can do it. I can find a really amazing job. But the entire time that I left the UK, I felt guilty that I left the NHS and I felt guilty every time a friend or a colleague or someone that I knew back at home got a new position or started a new specialty or went from a band seven to a band eight A because in my mind, the best and only option that I had was to work my way up the chain. Like that was the, that was the only way to like demonstrate your worth. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but I left as a band six. And then when I came home five years later, I was convinced I should go back to a band seven job. No joke. I emailed my boss, my old boss, who I kept in touch with. And I was like, well, you know, I haven't been that clinical. Um, I've been in some, you know, high level management jobs, but there's no way that I should apply for an 8A. So I think I'm just going to like apply for some rotational sevens. Would you please accept me as, as, as a locum? short term until I find a job in Oxford back in the hospital I used to work in because I felt comfortable there and he was like have you lost it (laughs) he's like literally you know what why would you apply for a band seven like what's wrong with you and you know that that's sort of self-worth you know I didn't believe in myself I didn't I didn't believe in my value in what I had achieved what I had you know, learnt the whole time that I was living in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. When now, when I started applying for jobs and I went for eight A's, I was like psycho about my interviews. And I, you know, broke down all of the things I'd achieved in the, in the previous five years to showcase who I was in the interview. And I was freaked out that because I didn't follow the standard pathway that I wouldn't even get interviews. And I wouldn't get the job because they would want the standard hospital pharmacist, you know, pathway. Now I look back and I'm like, I can't believe, yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, um, this is, you know, a personal issue, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, that I went through. And I didn't value who I was as a person for sure. And I've learned to change that mindset. And now, I'm very much an advocate for follow what you enjoy, what you're passionate about, what you love, what you thrive off of, rather than chasing the 7, the 8A, the 8B, the 8C, which is what I thought we should all do. Um, So, you know, whenever I have conversations like this on the podcast, I remind people who are listening, you know, to follow your dreams, to really truly understand like what your purpose is in life, what your purpose is in this profession and chase it and chase it hard. And I've fallen in love with pediatrics. And again, a similar situation. I had very limited experience in pediatrics um, when I applied for my job at Evelina. Um, but at this point, I learned that transferable skills exist and that I can go for interviews, which I don't fit all the criteria, but I feel fit majority of the criteria. And there's a way to demonstrate that I can learn those skills eventually, or that I have the ability to educate myself to progress towards what they expect of me. I went into that job, Evelina, with no university experience because it's a split job with Kings. Um, no specific university teaching, but 
I've taught students and paramedics, a lot of paramedics when I lived in Abu Dhabi and set up a lot of educational programs in the job that I had um, working for National Ambulance. And then the clinical role, you know, I've got loads of clinical experience, but it's not all PED specific, but actually I'm really willing to learn. I'm really passionate about what I have achieved and just give me a chance. And being able to demonstrate that in an interview is really hard and it took a lot of work to kind of get me there and practice and document a lot of things in a journal to then say you got this Anisha you can get this job you are worthy of this job Uh, but it is hard Um, so um, it's interesting that you have taken pathways where you've gone outside the box and you've said to yourself like be an adventurer do something different try something new gain a new skill and it's kind of led you to where obviously you are today um yeah um in terms of like what you said transferable skills I couldn't agree more like I didn't even realize my worth until I started at Babylon and initially imposter syndrome got to me my anxieties got to me it's like what am I doing like this is so not in my comfort zone like um and how I've progressed in there like it's what I kind of advocate to people coming to Babylon now that stop underselling yourself as a profession. You know yourself. You know yourself. Just apply your transferable skills and it's the attitudes and mindset that gets you places. You could always do CPD. You could always learn your clinical skill. But actually, you've learned so many core skills throughout your education and throughout your previous careers. You can go for um, jobs that you think you might not be suitable for like like you said you don't have to go to um, band 7a bc and so forth um yeah just it's something that i always kind of speak to new people coming to babylon and all my experiences that i've had in previous sectors made me into kind of the role that i'm in now in babylon and i've been so fortunate here because there was a pathway for me to progress so i was the second pharmacist to join Babylon and it was very small at that point and I was the first one just to consult digitally never done it before I was the first one in the organization um and the first non-GP as well and I kind of modeled what that would look like because Babylon um we're a primary care service and we're a global company but we're also having an NHS grant so actually it was really for me refreshing to work for a private organization but also keep touch with my NHS base so about 50% of the work that I do is still NHS based and shaping digital consulting and being the first one to model it from what I did and from what I learned just really kind of satisfying to see the principles that I applied and changed and modeled in Babylon now we have 70 plus pharmacists using that model that I kind of paved and I'm just thinking whoa like that's a lot like coming from I remember my first consulting I had no idea what I was doing and to what it is now it's just mind-blowing and like you said new experiences taking risks allows you to think what you enjoy and what you're passionate about and at Babylon I realized that actually I really really enjoy mental health um and through personal experiences as well and especially within the culture mental health is not talked about and speaking about mental health for my family is very difficult because of the stigma around it and even I found that conversation difficult even through patients and it's just something that we were never brought up talking about and it's just so important so that's when I did a uh a diploma in postgraduate um, postgraduate diploma in clinical psychiatry, and I did it out of order because I did my prescribing first, 
and everyone had done their diplomas and I was like oh I'm so behind nobody's gonna hire me because I'm not done my diploma but then I did it in a job that was new to me and did that at the same time and honestly that's given me so much skills and even now in the past couple of years I think the spotlight has been on mental health since COVID um and honestly like I'm a massive advocate for mental health and I do massively advocate for my um peers as well about mental health and um self-care but it's really rewarding to have used that skills to shape where we are now in Babylon and I speak my speciality is mental health so I do speak to a lot of mental health patients and to use that and really thinking from where I've come to community kind of like signing boxes to you know um engaging people in therapy you know optimizing their medication regimes seeing the week on week to see how they've improved and being on my own mental health struggles to kind of helping someone else is just so so rewarding nice and your current position is associate director of pharmacy is that right that's right what does that role involve <laughs> it's a lot it's challenging so I went from a junior pharmacist to a senior pharmacist within about six months when I started and then I was a senior pharmacist for about two years and that was just kind of overseeing kind of day-to-day function kind of supporting the team um growing the business and growing the organization and then I was really fortunate to get the position that I'm in now and I'm really thankful to my colleagues and the opportunity Babylon has provided um day-to-day very much like varies um, so I kind of oversee the UK side of business for pharmacy and prescriptions and medications. And that's kind of on the NHS side, but also private and also um, look after the remote workforce. Um, so on a given day, honestly, there's no day that's the same, but I kind of noticed I've taken a slight step back from patient facing and it's a bit more strategic. However, I still do my clinics on Fridays just to keep that kind of contact and keep my clinical um, knowledge up to date. Um, but helping towards um, like kind of one of the main things that we do is marketing, right? A lot of people don't know about Babylon and a lot of people, I'm a massive advocate for utilizing pharmacists efficiently. And I think we're kind of seen as glorified shopkeepers and throughout the pandemic, it was kind of the GPs and nurses have done this, the GPs and nurses have done this. And it was really kind of frustrating that pharmacists are not seen at that elevated level and that was my personal kind of viewpoint so for me like I get involved in a lot of marketing campaigns to showcase what we do as a profession and what we do at Babylon just to get people excited so we did recently we've done a CPD series about prescribing we did one I think the first session was in March the second session was a few weeks ago and the next session um, is in a few weeks so one was on acute care management in digital health in primary care and one was chronic care management, which is coming up, and one was just new to prescribing. And it was like a round table talk. And it was so casual, informal with my team and speaking to people who've not worked in primary care, not worked in digital health. And just kind of having those kind of conversations where you spark something, oh my God, that's really interesting. I'm just used to community. Like I've never done something like this before. I've done my prescribing, like but nobody's going to accept me in primary care because I've never worked in primary care, but I have my price driving qualification, but it was not having that confidence. So I really love the marketing side and just going to events. We went to CPC recently as well, which was, which was amazing. And I guess a lot of my role is about growth, but I think the main is about development and really using utilizing pharmacists kind of skill set efficiently. So providing CPD sessions listening to our workforce as well like what is it that you would like what is it that you're experiencing how can we be better in supporting your kind of day-to-day interactions with patients 
Um, but yeah, it's very varied. But if you want to put it in like one sentence, I kind of always see medicine, medicines and prescribing and the UK workforce. That's kind of underselling it, but that's in a very short sentence. It sounds very creative. Um, a whole host of skills um, you wouldn't, I guess, learn in an undergraduate degree as a pharmacist, um, marketing being one of them, a lot of strategy, business development, um, communication for sure, which we do learn, obviously, in pharmacy. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's the it's with patients, obviously, as well as with, with colleagues, external stakeholders, you know, finances, all of that kind of like strategy that you learn in your other jobs and kind of set you up. And even if you had a basic element of skill, you've been able to grow with experience, which is really interesting because when I, I guess when I started my role in Abu Dhabi, I was the only pharmacist working for an ambulance organization and, and setting up the service from pretty much nothing, building my own pharmacy, um, getting to choose everything within that pharmacy, having, you know, a budget set out for me and I can spend it on what I want when I want. Um, and then developing the workforce. So having access to medications, which we didn't initially have access to, and then training paramedics and EMTs to utilize those medications appropriately. All of these things, it's not like I had experience in doing them in my previous job as a hospital band six, you know, rotational pharmacist, but it's having the courage to think outside the box and actually try something new and taking that risk that actually there's nothing harmful of giving this a go. Like you're saying, listening to the workforce in terms of what CBD is required, trying out, getting the feedback and improving as you go along. It doesn't need to be perfect. Um, you just need to have an open mind and know that actually improvement and consistency with that is the kind of key to success. So it sounds like a very um, creative and exciting role um, that I can see why you enjoy it. Um, and, you know, I, I do see your posts on LinkedIn and things like that and things that are shared by Babylon. Um, and it's, it you know, it looks like a great company to work for. Um, there's always adverts for jobs actually so for people listening go and check it out um, because there's always opportunities you know arising um, well I'm happy for you because actually you know from the start of the conversation you know we we identified that you weren't really sure where your pharmacy journey was to kind of begin and you fell into pharmacy um, you know for for you know, different reasons. And now you're kind of in a position that you, you love and that you're passionate about. That's amazing. That's good. Um, I guess to, uh, to end the podcast, I, I usually ask my three favorite questions. Um, the first being, um, what does it mean to you to be a pharmacist or being a pharmacist means? I think if you asked this like 10 years ago, it would have just been like, you know, I'm a professional, I'm part of healthcare, I'm helping patients, but I think for me, I really enjoy giving patients a different access to healthcare. And like I personally know like the impact clinicians can have and actually pharmacists can have. And I think it's just really selling yourself. And I love how each interaction with patients counts and like, especially when you can follow it end to end. But I think 
being a pharmacist isn't something that you should, I guess it's the stigma around it. Um, being a pharmacist is valued. I think to me, it means that you're an integral part of helping people in their day-to-day lives. It's as simple as that. Like you can make an impactful intervention in someone's life and that could change their life. So I think that's what it means to me, the little things. Nice. And I guess if you were to go back in time to when you were a student, what would you advise yourself? We've touched on this quite a lot, actually, in this podcast, which I don't normally touch on with a lot of people. Um, But yeah, give me your perception on that. Um, If I had to kind of tell myself something when I started, I think similar to what we've said throughout all your passions, really find what you enjoy. Um, Don't feed your inner critic or um, just ignore the inner critic at all. Be authentic be open to new things like even things like project management super super helpful I think as pharmacists we think we need to be clinical and that's the way we kind of advance but you know having skills like project management and just basic communication skills goes goes a long way um be uncomfortable if you feel uncomfortable in a role that's probably because you're learning and um question things like just because things have been done a certain way doesn't mean that's the way they should always be done I think that's what habit falls into, but actually really question and challenge things like you've got ideas and things can be done differently. Be confident enough to vocalize that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because that's really important. Um, and in 10 years time, I will be. <laughs> God. Um, I would like to say, no, actually, I'm going to try and manifest this. So I would like to say, uh, I'm going to say I will be fulfilled and happy with all the opportunities I gave myself. Agreed. That's a good one. Because it's, it's quite a hard question, because even when I, yeah, when I ask myself that question, I, ah, I don't know, like professionally, like I'm just not sure. Um, I know I won't be in exactly the same job because I love the variety and I love the change and it's no offense to my employer because I do love the Evelina and I do love KCL. Um, and, you know, I I know that one thing that I was passionate about in terms of career growth was to be loyal to an organization, but I need variety within that loyalty. I need to try different roles and experience, you know, new jobs within it Um, just to learn and to grow and to progress in, you know, in different ways. And I'm not talking about stepping up the ladder and going into management it's sidestepping into different maybe a clinical specialty or um you know like I've I've got a lot of variety in my role at the moment but it's just being able to experience new things which is always good and I love that um thank you so much for your time today I really enjoyed getting to know you and um also um getting to know your story as well I appreciate I appreciate that a lot thank you so much for having me and thank you for allowing me to kind of share my journey on this platform like yeah really really kind of humbled to be in the position I am and again to be able to share this too nice if you enjoyed this episode please share it with others You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Pharmacist Diaries UK and on Twitter at Farm Diaries UK. That is P-H-A-R-M Diaries UK.
Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you can be notified when a new episode is released. Finally, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave me a review as it will help the podcast reach more people. If you have any suggestions for guests you want me to talk to or if you'd like to come on yourself, please feel free to contact me via social media or email at info at pharmacistdiaries.com.